Simon Says Let's Talk Business. This is your host, Al Simon, with Sandler Training, and we're on Business Radio X today. And as usual, this show we talk about, we talk with high-performing business professionals, and we do it in order to sharpen our skills, learn new and great ideas and concepts, and share best practices. And we get to know really smart people which is awesome. My two guests there are smiling when I said smart people because they know they are. That's right. So you're going to enjoy this today, this show. We're going to focus on two tremendous business professionals and uh, what they're doing and how you can plug into them. Uh, so listen carefully and take notes and ask, you know, and pay attention when at the end of each segment, we're going to give you their contact information so that you can plug in. And uh, as always, at the end, we'll finish it with a sales tip from me in the uh, Ask Al segment. So here we go. Simon says, let's talk business. We've got Richard Kirby, the principal of Decision Point Executive Coaching with us today. Richard, welcome. Hey, Al. Thank you. Glad to be here. I've known Richard a long time. He's a, he's a terrific business professional. We also have Christian Brown, uh, who is the, uh, who's a ghostwriter and a podcaster. Right, with visionary writing. Welcome, Christian. Thank you, thank you. So, Richard, let's start with you. Uh, so y- your company is Decision Point Executive Coaching. So you coach people like me, don't you? Uh, I coach business owners as mm-hmm. well as uh, key corporate executives. Okay, so there's really two sides, business yes. owners and then key corporate executives. Right. Okay. That's got to be very interesting, and you really must have to be able to keep it straight in your head because there's two different purposes there, right? Exactly. Yeah, okay. one is for the individual, more or less, and the other one is for the overall business. Okay. So the business owners, you're helping them with everything, right? Processes, systems, as well as their, their goals and, per, and visions and so on. HR, finance, uh, yeah, everything to make the business better, make it more profitable, and also get them out of the business. It's where they're not working 40, 50, 60 hours a week unless they want to. Okay. That's interesting you said 40, 50, 60, because most entrepreneurs I know are like 60, 70, 80. (laughs) (laughs) Well, uh, yeah, I think you have to decide how important is your business versus the rest of your life, and everybody talks about work-life balance. So, you know. But nobody does it. (laughs) Well, a lot of entrepreneurs I see have problem with that. Yeah, they? they get so absorbed that they can't back away or they don't work at backing away from it. Right. I imagine that is a problem. It is, and some people are just naturally workaholics, yeah. and they're very difficult. It's like they you can't hardly look, but uh, you let, you can't get them away from their death grip of being deeply involved in the business. And other people want it, and will actually work toward accomplishing that work life balance. But what if you're passionate, so passionate about what you do, and so enjoy what you do that you don't mind working fifty, sixty, seventy hours a week? What do you? How do you coach those folks? That's fine. Then uh, they have a lot more time to be more effective in their business, and uh, we we just look at where they're spending that time. So you only have so many hours in the week or so many hours you'll devote to the business. Mm. So the question is priorities. Where are you spending your time, and where could you be spending your time? And most entrepreneurs are so deep in the business they haven't stood back and looked at where do they really want to go with the business and what things are they doing that – need to be changed or dropped or added yeah. to get them toward that long-term goal. They're just sort of picking up 
every day go into work kind of like a worker in a business you know there's sort of like a shadow employee yes. it just happens to own it yes and as a coach myself i'm 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 quite certain that your coaching with your clients is confidential yes so sometimes they probably share with you that they're working too hard in the business even though they love doing it yeah and their personal life and family life is suffering yeah i had a i had an owner who you know basically said i go home every night at eight thirty and collapse on the sofa well mm. he had two children that were under 10 years old oh my goodness and a wife he was married and so i asked him one of my favorite questions to ask those people is if you go home tonight and your wife has packed up the kids and left you and said she wants a divorce how would that feel because until somebody recognizes their potential consequences of their behavior many times they can't change it mm. Or, do, or does he really want to change, right? Does he prefer the business over the family? True. Some people escape in yeah. the business from, yeah. or, you know, maybe a not-so-good yeah. relationship. I really have often felt that that was kind of the dark side of the, you know, the American dream, you know, the, the free enterprise yeah. kind of thing where we don't really value work-life balance. We, we say we do, but yeah. we don't really in our actions and the way we spend our time. Do you, you see that, too? Well, I see it in uh, older people, and as you go down in age, I mean, when you get down to 30s, 35-year-olds, I work with a lot of entrepreneurs that are in the 30 to 35-year-old range, and in those cases, they do value work-life balance, and they look ahead at the older people and go, you know, hey, that's not for me. Although she's not an entrepreneur, I can give you an example. My 35-year-old daughter just announced earlier this year that she was basically quitting work and not going to work anymore now not literally but she she basically quit her job and said i'll work part-time whenever i feel like it so she considers herself semi-retired at 35 and you know they've had a lot of data come out lately about how many people have dropped out of the workforce she's one of them so this is radio, and so there's no <laughs> pictures here, but we're both kind of looking over at Christian because he is the younger, a lot younger than you and me. And yeah. Yeah, so how about you, Christian? I mean, do, do you see that work-life balance differently than, say, you know, 60-year-old entrepreneur does? Yeah, I would say so. And I think now, you know, in today's climate, it's a lot more focused on culture. And if a culture of a company doesn't fit with your personal culture, then it's, I guess it's easier to leave now right yeah so that that's what i would say and that's what i see from i guess my peers right. I, I just helped a, a lady who's about 50 years old and somewhere in the middle between that uh get a new job and the company she's working for which is a well-known company in atlanta has unlimited vacation paid vacation unlimited now paid that vacation. doesn't mean you can't ever go to work but what it means is they're very flexible if you're getting your work done so i said so what does that mean to you she said based upon knowing the company i could probably take six weeks of vacation without too much problem and wouldn't get any flack over it but they don't actually tell her in the offer letter how many weeks of vacation she has that is it's interesting I, they better be open with are, are you able to keep your job if you're starting to abuse that exactly wow isn't that something? I guess if you're productive, you know, we have a concept in in our training that, you know, is that you need to be on goal time and not clock time. Yeah. Same thing. If you're productive, if you're meeting and exceeding your goals, 
hey, you want to take some time off? Take time off. Well, I occasionally quote the four-hour work week. I read that book probably 15 years ago. Mm. And, you know, it basically says here's how you get your work life down to four hours a week and then enjoy all the time you have available as a result. And so I think that's a little utopian or idealistic, but a person who's working 60, you know, if I can get them down to 25 or 30, I think that's really great for an entrepreneur who's making a lot of money in their business. I think I'm doing good by getting down to four days a week. (laughs) I'm not sure I could do four hours. You're better than average, much better than average. Well, my clients probably wouldn't like it if I was only available four hours a week. There's there's that, too. Well, you have to train your clients, too, right? There you, yes, right. <laughs> now, you didn't. You weren't always an entrepreneur or a, an individual coach, right? You right. used to be in the corporate world. How did right. you get into coaching? Uh, well, I started in engineering. I have an engineering degree, which is pretty weird for a coach. You don't find many of them. You don't. And, That's true. And I wasn't happy in engineering, so I went into training and development in HR at a corporate training center. I was in a Fortune 100. And uh, I love teaching, so I got to teach engineers but didn't go home and didn't have to worry about doing it. And that was a great bridge job. I ended up from that going into marketing and from marketing into sales. And I was in sales management for about 10 years. And in 2001, when that recession hit, I was in an industry that just got hammered. Mm. And they had big layoffs. I got laid off. I started looking for a job. And then uh, I ran across a guy who was doing coaching. I'm like, that looks like a lot more fun than going back and getting a job. So somewhat like my daughter, who's 35, I decided I'd like to kind of drop out of corporate America and do my own thing in mid-career, mid-really age, middle age. And um, so I ran into a guy who was doing coaching and was very successful with it. And I basically said, I want you to tutor me on how to do what you do. Yeah, but you had already coached engineers, so you had an idea already. Yeah, I had been coaching all along. Then the first real concrete incident of it I can think of is when I was about 23 so I'm a year and a half or so out of college and I had a guy working for me that was like 25 and he was kind of mediocre in his job and kind of blah in his attitude toward the job and so I'm 23 he's 25 if you imagine this coaching experience <laughs> like how do you like your job and he's like it's okay I said yeah that's the vibe I get from you so how, how do you how good do you, you think this is really where your strength and your power and where you're really good at this engineering stuff? And he said, not particularly, but I guess I'm okay. And I said, yeah, I think you're kind of okay. You're about middle of the road, but didn't look to me like you're ever going to love this or be great at it. Yeah. So I asked him, why don't you go get a different job? So I think that's the first, you know, career coaching I gave to an employee of mine who basically quit after you know, a few months, I sort of convinced him he didn't need to be in the job. You know what? I, I really like that approach, actually. You know, I think I think that sometimes when we're coaching people, we're doing them a disservice if we try to make them thrive where they're not really built to thrive. Yeah, just optimizing a person who's not in the right job is, you could say that's selfish of the employer or of the manager, but it's not good for the employee. It's not. You know, when we when we onboard a new a new client, one of the first things I say in their first session with me is, "Why in the world are you in sales?" Uh huh. And you know, you know how hard this is. You you probably shouldn't even be in sales. Mm-hmm. And they look at me like I got three eyes, but I want them to think hard through it because 
you know, selfishly, I don't want to spend a lot of time and effort with them if they don't really want to be better in sales or sales management for that yeah. matter. And, uh, and, and they would be better off thriving elsewhere if that's, if the career. So I like what you're doing with that, that whole idea. You know, yeah. Make, you're just setting them up in advance that when they go to sales training, I don't know about, you know, Sandler, but I'm talking generic sales training. They tell you, you know, you've got to be prepared to get 50 no's before you get one yes. So when somebody tells you no, you go like, thank you, next. (laughs) (laughs) I only need 49 more prospects and I'm going to make a sale. That is really hard for a lot of people. It is very hard. And and that's why I don't like that saying that people say, you know, sales is a numbers game. Because if that's your attitude about it, you really ought to go find another job. Mm -hmm. It's just not that way. Mm -hmm. And, uh, yeah. And, and any kind of career, right? If you're not prepared for the worst day and being able to handle that yeah, and um, and thrive in that scenario, you need to go thrive elsewhere. Absolutely. Yeah. Makes sense. So you mentioned before, Richard, that you coach uh, entrepreneurs, business owners, right. uh, presidents, CEOs, but you also coach um, executives who don't own their own business. Correct. Tell us about the difference between the two. The difference between the two. Well, um, the difference in the coaching is I, I'm do, trying to accomplish two different things. With business owners, I'm trying to optimize their business while improving their work-life balance or whatever other personal thing they want to get out of the business that's non-business. Um, and in terms of individual executives, my, my typical client is a person who's a high performer in a job and they say, I hate my boss or I hate the company's going in the wrong direction or you know no matter how good I am I can't really make it be successful at this company so they're in a job and they're wanting to make a change and they're not happy where they are that's the corporate executives I work with so a lot of executive coaches the company brings them in in order to coach them up to be better in their job or to be prepared for advancement I don't do that kind of executive coaching okay which is kind of traditional and where most people fall. Yeah, that's what I would have assumed. No, no, yeah. I'm more about. I, I, I'll give you best a really good example. I coached a divisional president of a local company, and he had about a two hundred and something million dollar division of like a billion dollar company. And he came to me and he said, "You know, I've hit my numbers every year for the last three years, and all I hear from the CEO is you're a sandbagger." Wow. So it's like. It deflates him yeah. every time he makes his objectives. It's like you set your objective too low. How demotivating is that? And he's like, I can't take it anymore. The boss is the one that needs your coaching. Exactly. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> so there is a common saying that's running around social media these days, Richard. I want to ask you about it. Okay. And it is that people don't quit jobs, they quit bosses. What's your take on that? Um, I did a presentation last week on... Uh, why employ why individuals are so empowered in this work pl- in this job market today yeah because there's so many jobs with so few people that fit the jobs so the employee really does have the upper hand in negotiating and other things today and uh i did i went and found a survey and they had a survey of about what's the top 10 reasons in 2021 it was a recent survey that people leave the jobs and the boss was in there and traditionally, leaving the boss is always one of the top, if not okay. the top reasons. All right. There are other reasons, lack of recognition, lack of upward opportunity, uh, feeling like you're undervalued or underpaid, 
um, you know, those type of things. But the boss is pretty consistent over 15, 20. I've been coaching 20 years almost, and that one's always in there near the top. Is it? Yeah, I mean, yeah. every day. I mean, you got, if the person, especially if the person's actively involved in what you do, that you have to report to them mm-hmm. and brainstorm and strategize with them, you can't get away from them. Right. Now, some are bosses are hands-off, and even if they're a terrible boss, you know, you can definitely live with it because you don't have to put up with them too much. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Well, you know, I had a 24-year corporate sales career before I I bought this company in 2001 and I got a similar mm-hmm. 2001 story yeah. that you have and uh, so our maybe t- our timing is similar yeah yeah it probably is yeah in terms of, of just you know changing your direction I was yeah. a, I always like to say in order to feel like I wasn't a you know like I wasn't a drag of the company and getting f- fired or downsized that uh, I was 167% of my sales objective of my team the day I got fired yeah <laughs> but and on the flip side of that i understand exactly why the employer let me go or fired me mm. and i would have done the same thing if i was them really so i think that's one thing that's unusual about me is i see both sides of the employment situation because i'm working with individuals as well as business owners and there is a justification if the people are rational there's a justification on each side for it's a it's a transaction you're not joining a family contrary to what some people may want to present themselves in their company brand in general yeah (laughs) joining a company you're providing a service they send you a check periodically for your service and it's a business transaction and it doesn't mean there isn't more there but that's the core of what it's generally about well seeing both sides of that employer employee uh situation um Given this labor market right now, I mean, it's tough. Yeah. Right? Especially, I mean, we see it in sales, right? All of my clients are looking for salespeople. It's they tough can't for hiring, yeah. yes. So what is your take on that and what's going on today? Well, uh, in this presentation I did last week trying to explain why the employee has the upper hand over the employer, uh, I, I pulled some Bureau of Labor Statistics charts, and one of them shows the labor participation rate. And it's steadily gone down over the last 20 years. But that's your daughter's fault. Yeah, she's one of the contributors to (laughs) that. Exactly. (laughs) So she would be listed as out of the labor force. Right. And she's 35. But it showed that over the last 20 years, the labor participation rate participation rate has gone down 5 percent of that 5 percent. One and a half of it has occurred in the last year. Hmm. So a third of that 20 year history of decline has happened in the past year. Okay. So that gives you an idea. People really have dropped out, and if they don't come back, then that side of the equation of the supply of labor, let's say supply and demand, is there. And likewise, the number of open jobs, because there aren't the people there. Do you think that's generational or technology or lots of different reasons or what? Well, I think, uh, you know, in 2001, one of the reasons that I got downsized was because of uh, 9-11. Yeah. You know, and what happened in that year, that was a major event. And I think there are a lot of people who have reassessed their lives. And I did at that time. And that's probably the reason I went out on my own. Right. So now here we are and we have COVID and everything shut down and all the social and other and business, how you work and how you do your job has been turned upside down. I think it's an it's a sig- significant emotional event, as Stephen Covey or somebody said, 
that's changed people's a lot of people's attitude about work yeah it definitely has i see that for sure christian you got a comment on that yeah i had a question for you um so you described the profile of an executive who's a high performer but wants to leave their company yes what is usually the biggest mental roadblock that someone like that has uh I don't see it so much as a mental roadblock. Well, I guess I would say motivation, that they don't have sufficient motivation to go take action. Mm-hmm. Uh, so they have a pain, but they're not willing to take action to address the pain. So when I show up, I kind of become, okay, I got to do my job. I really don't have time to make this, but you're going to kind of be my coach and guide me through this. So I'm sort of, you might say, their project manager, or their efficiency expert at how to get from point A to point B while still juggling all the balls at their current job. Yeah, and their motivator, too. Right? Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. My philosophy or attitude or whatever belief is that I believe everyone is underutilized. I mean, everybody. So I approach every person and every business owner as if you're – I'm not going to tell you you're an underperformer to you or, you know, down, trash talk you, but that's what's in the back of my mind is you're not anywhere near what you could be. Your business isn't, and you as an employee aren't. And so I look at there's a huge gap that, that I can help fill some portion of that that will make things better. Oh, absolutely, yeah. And, and in coaching, we say coaching is caught, not taught. So they really have to come to that conclusion themselves for, through yeah. your help, right, that hey, I'm not doing what I could be doing. Yeah, the first uh, of the first three, the first three clients I had, one of them was a CFO of about a 50 or $100 million company, and he got a job of a CFO of a $1.2 billion company and doubled his income. Most people I meet don't see that as a possibility for themselves. Mm-hmm. But it is. At least I believe it is. Well, if, <laughs> if you know, if... Our listeners who are looking for a coach, if if uh, if if they wouldn't probably hire you if they didn't think you could believe they could, <laughs> could double their income, hopefully, yeah, or get some results, whatever results they're looking for. So, we've been talking with Richard Kirby here, the principal of Decision Point Executive Coaching. Works with business owners and entrepreneurs. He also works with executives and companies. Richard, you get results absolutely. So, our listeners, if you want to get a hold of Richard, what's the best way, Richard? Uh, well, my website is my name dot net Richard Kirby K I R B Y dot net. Uh, so you can find my contact info, uh, read information about the different coaching services I have, and then of course my phone number is seven seven zero three six six five eight seven five, and my email is Richard at Richard Kirby dot net. Excellent. Of course, all those. Uh, the the website, the email address, the phone number, they're all on the Radio, Radio X website as well. Uh, but, it, again, it's richardkirby.net and 770-366-5875. Richard, thanks for joining us. Thank you, Al. I appreciate the yes. time and uh, your uh, interesting questions. Well, you're welcome. <laughs> this is Al Simon with Sandler Training, and the show is Simon Says Let's Talk Business here on Business Radio X. You know, I, I keep saying that, but I wonder if people actually remember the game Simon Says. I don't know. Is that... Well, I, I think so. Okay, yeah. good. All right. <laughs> One of those classics, you, you know, can't forget Simon there, Says. There, there you go. Well, the voice you're hearing now is the voice of Christian Brown. Christian is a 
A ghostwriter for Visionary Writing is your company, huh? Yes, sir. Visionary Writing. Visionary Writing. And you're a podcaster. Yep. I have a podcast. I've been podcasting for about three years, so not as long as you, but almost. Well, if you, yeah, but you probably do it more often than I do. I'm like a you know sales trainer and coach who sometimes does podcasts. Mm, yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. Probably then. Yeah, probably. <laughs> yeah. There you go. So yeah. tell us about Visionary Writing. When did you start it? Why did you start it? What do you do? Yeah, so I, I was an entrepreneurship major at Kennesaw State University. Go Owls. Go Owls, right? <laughs> and, and Kennesaw was actually the first school in Georgia to offer entrepreneurship as a major. And so I was a part of that that, that first school. By the way, they're the also one of the few schools in the nation that has a degree in sales. Did you know that? Oh, wow, I didn't. Yeah. But I did know they have a degree in sales, but I didn't know, you know. It was, yeah, there aren't that uh, many. Wow, that's, yeah. that's cool. So through that entrepreneurship program, one of our tasks, if you will, was to start a business. Um, and when I entered the entrepreneurship major, I had been an entrepreneur before. Um, I started two online businesses, uh, just selling products online. The, the first product, uh, it was, I was selling baby products all around the world. Wow. <laughs> um, and the second business, I was selling uh, makeup vanities to college girls. And You just wanted to make girls. Come on. <laughs> Come on. I, I, really, I just wanted to make money, and I, and I thought you know, selling products was the way to do it. But then, literally the first class of my entrepreneurship major, I had met um, a guy named Mike Russell, and I asked him to be my mentor. And so um, we started meeting weekly, and in our first meeting, he asked me what I did, and I told him about my, my baby products and my, <laughs> and my vanities. And um, around this time, I also had written a book. And so I, wow. I, I gave him one of my books, and he was like, okay, you, you created this beautiful project in this book, but you're selling baby products and makeup vanities. Like, why are you doing that? And I said, well, I want to make money. And he yeah. said, okay, what are you passionate about? You know, what, what's deep in your heart? And I said, well, I, I love writing. And so he said, okay, find out how to, how to make a business based on your passion and your gift. And that's when I thought about visionary writing, the idea of taking a story from, from someone's mind or someone's life and building it into a book and selling it online. My goodness. So how many of those can you do at one time? Is that just like a you can only have one project going at a time, or do you find a way to do more? Yeah, so, so luckily, um, also through the program, I um, got the idea from my professor to um, bring on other writers to join me. So right now I have about three writers working with me. Oh, do you? And so okay. I can do three projects at one time. If four if I write myself, but I, I try not to write in the trenches anymore. <laughs> so what's the hardest part of, of ghostwriting? Um, the hardest part, it just it depends, right? Because sometimes the person that I'm working with, the client, they're not very expressive. And I like to get deep when I, when I talk, talk with clients because it's those deep stories and those deep memories that make up a good project. And some people just aren't willing to. And so I think that's the hardest part, you know, when you have someone who, who is protective over their stories. That's kind of difficult. So how do you pull them out? I keep asking. Just keep asking questions. <laughs> I keep asking questions. And sometimes I remind them, like, hey, you know, I know this is maybe a tough topic for you, but it's these tough stories that make you relatable to other people, right? And, and it takes that vulnerability to create a great project. Now, do they ever tell you a story because you keep asking, but then say, don't put that in the book? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> for sure, for sure. Yeah, well, there are some stories like that, but... Yeah. Yeah, those are those are always good too because it's it's just a step further into you know getting more and more out. Okay, right? so this isn't fiction. This is this is people's stories. This people's is biographies. Yeah, people's stories. And so yeah. usually when I do projects, we focus on a topic that a, a writer wants to um, you know talk about, but then we use their personal stories to to teach on the subjects. Okay, 
And then, and, and what do you podcast on? So my podcast is called Your Visionary Podcast, and I started that in college as well, basically as a way to um, bring on mentors. Um, because after you know, my mentor just helped me transform my life. I thought it would be amazing for other college students to get the opportunity to hear from you know similar people. And so I, I talk about um, entrepreneurship, talk about business, and talking about um, helping people create a vision for their life. Nice. Sounds like you might want to get a hold of Richard Kirby and have him on your podcast. <laughs> right? <laughs> Definitely. Because there, there are a lot of people who need coaching. I mean, there are, my audience is mostly like 17 to 29. Um, so if, if you're willing to, to go down further in the age range, yeah, we'll love that, Richard. I'm always willing to talk, uh, whether they'd be, doesn't matter whether they'd be a client of mine or not, but I'm always happy to participate in the podcast or offer ideas. Yeah, and I think that's important because one of the things that I was just grateful to learn early on, and I say early on, but it was 10 years ago when I was 15, I learned how important your environment is to the way you think and the way you live. And for me, it took some years to really learn that and intentionally change my environment. But now at 25, I'm super intentional about the rooms that I place myself in. And so, that, I mean, that leaves me here with, with great you know, men like you guys. And so I, I would love to just have you on there, and that's kind of the goal with the podcast, to bring on, you know, a different environment. That is, that is great advice, Christian. Uh, you know, people don't often think intentionally about, you know, how they fill their brain, you know, where they listen to, where they watch, where they read, who they hang around with. And it's such an important thing to, to create the environment where you can thrive, All right. isn't it? And obviously you figured that out because you say three of your projects have reached number one in Amazon's best new release list. Yep. That's <laughs> very have. cool. Yeah, the last three, yeah. So now, yeah. I mean, it's, I built up a process to where I, I've just gotten good at it. <laughs> I just got good at it. And, and so, yeah. Um, so your mentor was, was right, right? Get, find something you're good at, build a business around it, and go. And the great thing is my mentor, I wrote his book and released it maybe two months ago. And he's already sold over 400 copies. It was an Amazon number one bestseller. Yeah. And it's just been an amazing full circle moment for us. That is awesome. That is awesome. So, all right. So you've had a mentor. And when you're ghostwriting, you're kind of a mentor, right, to the writers. Or to the people that have the ideas and the stories. So what's the best advice you can give someone, um, first with being a mentor and secondly with 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 uh, having a mentor yeah i want to start with having a mentor because that's like i said that that's one of the things that just changed the trajectory of my life and with having a mentor it's important to show up you know show up just show up every time every you know time you can and one my mentor he told me what set me apart from the other kids that have asked to mentor him is my effectiveness when it comes to just showing up and saying hey when can we meet next? I, I want to. I want to see you. I want to talk to you. Um, so mm. that'll be my advice to someone who is looking for a mentor or is being mentored. You know, show up and don't be afraid to ask. Um, and, and when it comes to mentors, I think good advice would be to um, just be vulnerable, be vulnerable, and and be truthful um, with stories because sometimes I see mentors they may try to you know, paint a picture of what they think the mentee wants or needs. But at the end of the day, if it's not real, then that would be, you know, they're going to feel that. Um, yeah. I think some mentees are afraid to really open up because they're afraid of change maybe. Yeah. Yeah. Or afraid of judgment. 
Um, oh yeah, that too. So yeah, it's a lot of, a lot of fear when it comes to that, but but you can't grow unless you do that. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. That's awesome. True. Very good. <laughs> well, Christian, obviously you're doing uh, you're doing things well uh, because of the you know the results that you're getting, and it's awesome that you've taken this path. And, uh, you. you know, podcasting, ghostwriting, that's very cool. Yeah. So if our listeners want to get their story published and need someone like your help, like you and your help, mm-hmm. how would they best get a hold of you? Yeah, so my personal website, IamChristianBrown.com. Um, my, my ghostwriting information is on there. My personal books are on there. Um, and that's just the best place to find any of the content that I've ever created. Okay, IamChristianBrown.com. Yep. There you go. <laughs> Love it. All right, well, Christian, it's great to have you on our show. Simon says, let's talk business. Thank you all. So thank you for joining us. And Richard, appreciate you being here too. You're welcome. Simon says, let's talk business. We've got some great ideas flying around today, some uh, real wisdom from two professionals. And I hope that you, as a listener, took notes. And I hope that you'll, that you'll contact these gentlemen and um, get some, you know, plug into their good help, good stuff. Okay, well, let's transition to the last part of our show. This is, this is what we call Ask Al, the Ask Al segment, where we take questions on sales from our listeners and we answer them on the air. And uh, so if you have a question about sales and you would like me to answer it on the air, then send your question to al.simon at sandler.com. And you just might get your question read. Like Amanda here. Amanda says, this is her question. This is fairly complicated question so everybody listen up amanda says my customers keep asking for my price range from my lowest package to my highest package that i offer in my services so she says when i share with them my cost range they don't call me back (laughs) or they just go elsewhere by the way we call that sticker shock right sticker shock is the common word for that and so she says how do i direct them away from that question and help close more deals and that's the bottom line. Okay, so think of yourself as a prospect for someone else. You're sitting with a salesperson, and you're a prospect for that salesperson. What do you want to know? Well, you want to know how much it's going to cost me, right? That's what you want to know, and that's the common question. And, and if you're in sales, you got to be ready for that question. It's going to happen. Uh, and you got to be able to answer that question. Very important. However, there is an order to things. And in order to... Uh, and to eliminate or at least at least in some way mitigate the uh, you know that uh, that that price shock right I mean in order to get rid of that you know uh, or mitigate it you have to be able to handle the order of things so we always say that you never cover money or budget before you cover pain in your sales conversations what we mean by pain we mean that pain is the reasons why people might buy from you you know, they're usually going away from some kind of a bad situation or wanting to go toward a better situation. And we call each, both of those pain. you got to have that conversation before you start naming numbers. Why? Because of sticker shock. If you think about it, you know, if you, th- you, know, if, if you uh, as, a, as a prospect for someone, hear a number that was higher than you expected, and they haven't taken you through really what we used to call a value proposition, probably still do, but you, you, know, you don't have a value proposition to attach to that number, then immediately in your mind you eliminate this, this particular seller. Fair? That's what happens. All right. So that's what's happening to Amanda, apparently. 
And so what we really need to do is we really need to make sure that we say to someone who asks us about price, and they don't know they're asking out of order, right? They just want to know. So you say, you know, Christian, that's a great question. Obviously, you need to get the answer to that question. So let's get that for you. Here's the process I use to get you there. I got a few questions. Probably take, I don't know, 15, 20 minutes to ask you enough questions so I can narrow things down, give you a great idea of how we would package it for you and what your investment would be. And then at that point, you can tell me either to go jump in a lake or you can say, okay, let's take another step and see if it makes sense. Does that sound fair? It does. Sounds fair. And, of course, we call that in our world an upfront contract, but it's a way of keeping control of the sales process. Now, if Christian says, no, 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 I don't want to go through 15, 20 minutes of questions. I just want to know the price. Just give me a, an approximate range. Well, if that happens, then you've got to go ahead and give him a range. But you've got to make it a pretty big range. right? You can't start making assumptions. Because what if I say to Christian, well, okay, I bet it's probably going to be around $50,000. And so now he's happy because he's got a number. Maybe he's unhappy because it's more than he was expecting for whatever it is I'm selling. Well, then I'm going to have to deal with that expectation. But at least I've got something on the table, and if he wants to back out now, I should let him and not even talk too much about the pain. Okay? But the other problem is if I tell him, let's say, $50,000, and then we talk more about the pain, and I realize, you know, scope creep, this is really more like $70,000, well, then I got a problem because I circumvented my system of selling because I didn't like him making me uncomfortable with his questions, and now I've really shot myself in the foot with this person. So you really got to say, you know what, Christian, I, I, I appreciate that you really want to know and uh, that you don't want to go through 15 or 20 minutes worth of questions. I get it. I wouldn't either probably. Um, so I can give you an idea, but then we really need to narrow it down after that. You okay if we have that conversation? And then, and, and it, by the way, if he balks a second time at that, Richard, I'm probably going to think in my mind, mm -hmm. this is not someone I want to work with anyway. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and you know, because if you think about it, someone who wants you to get off your system and follow their system and insists on that, when is that going to stop? If they become a client, are they ever going to stop trying to run your business? Right? They're never going to stop. That's just the way they are. They're going to always want to make you follow their lead. Okay, well... If that's okay with you, fine. But most of my clients, no, 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 no. They need to have their system because they know what works. So, Amanda, that's the way I would handle it if I were you. You may not like that answer, but you know what? At, uh, at Sandler, we say sometimes you got to have five seconds of guts. When they ask you the question how much this is and you know that's not a good way to go yet, you got to have five seconds of guts and say, certainly, let's get you that answer. Here's how we do that. Here's the process. And then lay that process out see if they're going to follow the process or not. And that's the sales tip today from Al Simon with Sandler Training by Simon Inc. And uh, this has been Simon Says Let's Talk Business on Business Radio X. So as always, good selling. Good selling.